Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Jaguar fans. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. I am your co-host. And as always, I am joined by my other co-host, which is James Johnson, the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire. And Jay, we are just about a week away from things changing, hopefully for for a while for this franchise. We are in the final home stretch heading into the NFL draft. And of course, our new head coach and general manager held a a press conference just the other day with media. And we are here to talk about that and, uh, you know, kind of break down what was said between the two of them. Yeah, it was different, man, for a change. We've grown accustomed to seeing for the last eight years or so, Dave Caldwell uh, addressed these. Um, So it was a different energy, different vibe. Um, and as we all know, he's been replaced by Trent Baalke. In the last, what, three years, we've gotten used to seeing Doug Marone in the pressers with Dave Caldwell. And before that, it was Gus. So, uh, yeah, it was just a whole different vibe, a whole different uh, change. Of, I guess you could say a, a change of uh, personnel there. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, we still came away with some good takeaways. And not just us, but everybody in general that uh, listened in. And uh, yeah, man, like like you said, man, we had in the last stretch, so I can't wait to dive into this. And um, albeit, you know, they didn't necessarily give us a lot, but at the same time, um, still, you know, it still makes for a lot of good fun in terms of conversation on this podcast. And I can't wait to get into it. And as always, uh, shout outs to the fans and appreciate them and the love and support they've been giving us. Absolutely. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode, especially if any of you missed out on the press conference or haven't gotten to uh, listen, uh, read the transcripts or actually listen to it. Uh, we are going to give you uh, you know, some of the highlights here that we have cut up for you in this episode. And as Jay mentioned, you know, thank you guys so much for those of you that have been listening. We really, really appreciate you. And if you are brand new to Believe in the Jaguars, welcome. And we hope that you enjoy the show. If you are enjoying the show and you have not yet, gone over to Apple Podcasts and left us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much to all of you that have already gone out of your way and done that. Leaving five stars is one of the best ways to support the show. It lets Apple Podcasts know that we are a, a show worth listening to and also shoots us up those podcast charts. So we would really appreciate it. Of course, we're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. And you can, of course, find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on social media. You can tweet the show or find it on Instagram at Believe in Jags Pod. You can find myself at Phil the Filipino, F I L I P I N O, and Jay is over at Sports Grind underscore Don. Before we get started, we do have to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors this week. First, here, of course, Bet Online, one of our OG sponsors. We really appreciate them. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag 
or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And along with Bet Online, Jay, we have to talk about our other sponsor here and, you know, talk about perfect timing with the summer right back on the horizon coming up very, very soon. And with summertime, I always equate that to fishing, Jay. So you and I have already have been talking about the last couple of weeks, getting back out there and enjoying some of the uh, some of the hotter weather down here in Florida and taking advantage of an old pastime, which is why we're excited to tell you about our newest sponsor, Monster Bass. Monster Bass is the fun and affordable way to get the best new baits from the fishing industry's top brands delivered to your door each month. It's a premium subscription fishing company that handpicks the best baits based on where you live and fish. No more guessing which baits are going to work. Just leave it to the pros at Monster Bass. Basically, it's like having your own personal fishing guide, and it's changing the way bass fishermen shop for baits. They're quickly becoming the number one fishing brand of anglers everywhere. They've got the best baits from the best brands, and you're covered by the industry's best customer service. So if you want to catch bigger bass this season, head over to MonsterBass.com and use the code JAGS10 to get $10 off your first box. Sign up for Monster Bass now. All right, Jay, with that out of the way, let's go ahead and get into some of the clips here that we have cut up from the press conference with head coach Urban Meyer, as well as Trent Baalke. The first question here that we have is uh, it's an answer from Trent Baalke when he was asked about what he has learned about Trevor Lawrence during this draft process. Well, the easiest way to answer that is no negatives. You know, all the research we've done. You know, you're always looking for the stars to align when you're looking at prospects, whether that be from a physical, mental, uh, character back, you know, whatever the case may be. And with with his situation, uh, like many others in this draft, the stars all align. And that's what you're looking for. And Jay, I believe you wrote on this earlier in the week. I know we it was posted up on the Jaguars wire. I can't believe I can't remember if it was you or Tyler that put it up. But I mean, when you hear that, no flaws or no negatives, I should say. I mean, that's definitely what you want to hear, of course, when you are taking a quarterback number one overall that is has been anointed, as we have heard, you know, the savior of this franchise. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's right about what we expected. We didn't expect anything to pop up. I guess like the only concern people might have had was the situation uh, with his labrum surgery, which uh, he's doing fine from that. And Ian Rappaport has done a good job of keeping us informed on that you know with his post on twitter and so on and so forth in fact ian rapaport uh posted a post today and trevor lawrence or it was put up by jordan palmer who is trevor lawrence's off-season quarterback coach but uh it showed trevor which we got this on jags wire as well it showed trevor throwing again so it looks like he's going to be good medically i also saw the little video bit actually that ian rapaport put out um about Trevor Lawrence and saying that all or mostly everybody he spoke with, he said all actually now I think about it. Everybody he spoken with has Trevor Lawrence going uh, or Trevor Lawrence is the number one guy on their board. He also said that, you know, Trevor Lawrence should be able to uh, attend. I don't know if that necessarily means like do physical stuff, but be present for spring activities. So everything's checking out in terms of the health concerns and, you know, the, the surgery he just had. Uh, the character has always been there. We never doubted that. So not surprising that Trent Baalke said everything checked out there. The film has always checked out. You know, we've seen every piece of Trevor Lawrence film. You can pretty much digest at this point uh, because, you know, once the Jets won those two games, we start doing our homework or we had been doing our homework before then. But we really started doing our homework. And look, man, like the, the, the film speaks for itself. So 
Uh, that being said, no surprises there. Sounds good. Um, and the only thing that's left really to be done is, you know, for Shad Khan to give them the okay to select Trevor Lawrence first overall, which you would think he's going to do uh, for the simple fact that he spoke about needing a franchise quarterback in the first press conference he had in the offseason. Yeah, we covered that way back, like you said, at the beginning of the offseason. So it appears that they have identified their guy, not that there was necessarily much of a debate. I mean, you can just look back at when Urban Meyer is basically sitting on the shoulder of Trevor Lawrence back at his throw day. That seems like so long ago now, doesn't it, <laughs> that that happened? You know, the of course, the mainstream media has done everything in their power to not talk about the Jaguars. And I don't know if that has to do with... And let me ask you this, Jay, because I've been wondering too, do you think it's just because there's no intrigue there? Or do you think it's they don't really want to talk about the Jaguars or a little bit of both? It might be that there's just no intrigue there, uh, I, I thought about this myself too. I, I tried to rewind and go in a, in a in a time machine and remember how they received Joe Burrow when they knew he was going to the Cincinnati Bengals, right? And I feel like, and I could be wrong, I felt like they talked about Joe Bur uh, Burrow despite him going to the Cincinnati Bengals. They talked about him a little bit more than Lawrence. And, you know, I thought about this too. Maybe that was because, like, that was yeah. more of a hometown deal type of thing, though. Maybe they talked about that because Joe Burrow was going back to his home state, his native state of Ohio. Uh, with Trevor Lawrence, is a little different. Even though he's just coming one state over, he's from Atlanta, so it's not really that much of a travel. He's he's still kind of near home. But, um, yeah, man, it, it's just been weird to see the coverage on the Jaguars having the first overall pick this year. But I guess in the end, none of that matters, right? Because when he suits up for training camp or whatever the case may be, start going out there and throwing the football with Chenault and all of those guys. Uh, hopefully the results will speak for itself. And then when it translates to the field, they'll have no choice but to talk about them then in, in a positive way at that. Exactly. Once they start winning, then they will definitely have to take notice. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I know I'm, we're not the only ones that have kind of wondered about that as far as, you know, the, just the lack of discussion when it comes to Trevor going number one. Uh, but we want to move on here to uh, the next uh, portion of this presser. And essentially, uh, Trent Balky and Urban Meyer were asked about the, the draft board uh, during the draft process. And also someone asked Urban, uh, you know, is he is he nervous about the upcoming draft? Of course, this being his his very first one, this being a foreign concept to him. Uh, so here is what general manager Trent Balky and head coach Urban Meyer had to say. Well, I, to answer the I, I think when you look at the amount of time we've spent uh, organizationally from a from a scouting perspective, the personnel staff, the coaching staff, the amount of time we've spent together to build this board, I think it becomes very easy, no different than coaching. You know, on Sundays, it's easy to call plays when the preparation's right. I think the same thing with the draft. I think we're going to be very prepared, feel very good about where we're at. So trusting that board, that's how you make a living. You, you got to trust it. When you don't trust it, that's when you make mistakes. So. Uh, we, we feel very good about the preparation we've put into this, feel very good about where the board is. We're about 95% there. Uh, we got about 5% more to get done, but we'll be, we'll be very trusting of the board come Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah, to answer your question, Andy, uh, I think Trent said it a second ago, and I, as a coach, I find myself always looking at need, and that's where you got to be cautious. You start chasing players instead of, 
was this whole the whole idea of value is completely new to me, and that's something that uh, you know I'm relying on. You know, Joe Cullen and Bevel as coordinators, and Brian Snyder, who have extensive uh, experience in the NFL, and then obviously Trent and his staff. So I've, I'm a quick learner. I've been working at this now for about three months. And the last, I can't imagine the last three, four weeks, you know, this has been our entire life uh, in that room, watching video, stacking the board. So trusting the board is key. I'm at the point almost there that I will trust it. But as a coach, I can see where you, uh, we need this, we need this, and we need this. And that's where you get yourself in trouble. So it's been a great learning experience for me. And to answer your question, nervous. I'm nervous about everything. I think you know that. So. And, uh, you know, I, I like that, Jay, we talked about this before we got started, you know, I like the fact that Urban has brought in uh, these guys that he is going to be relying on earlier in this presser. He was asked about, you know, as far as um, Darrow Bevels being brought in to Jacksonville, if it had a lot to do with his work with Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson. And I think the fact that, you know, he's brought in these guys and remember, he didn't necessarily have a relationship with Daryl Bevel before uh, he, he came here. He ended up here in Jacksonville. So I think the fact that he is bringing in these guys and is not only relying on them is a very, very good sign, especially going into your first draft. This, like he said, this is brand new to him. So, you know, what do you think about him commenting on relying on that coaching staff and not necessarily coming in and, and thinking that he has everything figured out? Yeah, I mean, I like to hear that um, because, I mean, coming into this thing, right, me and you were saying, like, just based off of Balky's pass and who he's drafted. Now, his first draft class was pretty decent with Kaepernick and he had Chris Culliver and Alden Smith, albeit Alden Smith had issues off of the field. Um, but when he was available for the 49ers, he was pretty effective. Um, but yeah, me and you had concerns initially. We were like, uh, well, we don't know if we want Balky making the calls based on what went down in San Francisco after that first draft class. And then we were conflicted because like Urban Meyer, as you said, is a first year head coach. Like, do we want him making the decisions as well? So that being said, like, it's probably good that they'll rely heavily on these assistants, because one thing we have said is we like the assistants that he's brought in and he's brought in a lot of assistants from winning franchises. Right. So, like, we, we're talking about Joe Cullen from the Baltimore Ravens. I would trust Joe Cullen's judgment in terms of find, finding players based off of what we've seen with the Baltimore Ravens and their defense. Um, you know, we're talking about guys like even like if you even go to a, a smaller scale like Chris Ash who you're familiar with, right? While Chris Ash isn't with the Texans or uh, with the Longhorns anymore, while he was there, there were some solid players that he was around as their defensive coordinator. And we we talked about him, Joseph Osai, um, and, and many, many others on that team as well that I wouldn't mind drafting as well. So if you're going to trust him um, in, in terms of what he worked with at Texas, you know, I wouldn't mind that either because, I mean, it's some good ball players there. And, um, you know, Daryl Bevel, of course, you know, you could pretty much say he might be the best assistant on this staff. He's worked with Matthew Stafford. I mean, just look at his resume. And and you want to talk about trusting him. He's worthy of trusting, too, in my opinion, because, look, man, this man has worked with Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers when he was with Green Bay. He's worked with Russ. You know, he's worked with uh, the Seattle Seahawks uh, when they were, you know, going through their run, which me and you have talked about. Uh, the um, Tyler, um, oh, his name is escaping me. I'm Tyler not, Lockett. Yeah, Tyler Lockett. Uh, he's worked with, uh, he didn't work with Metcalf. Metcalf came when he was gone. But he's worked with a lot of guys in that uh, uh, Seahawks scheme. Uh, Jimmy Graham, 
you know, Jimmy Graham was there for a little bit uh, while he was there. So, like, he's very, you know, he's a guy that's worked with so many stars that, you know, I would trust his judgment as well. And I would probably say I would trust the assistants, as crazy as this sound, I would trust the assistants' judgment more than Myers because obviously it's his first time. And more so than Balky, too, to a degree, because, you know, we weren't all that impressed with Balky's resume uh, with the San Francisco 49ers. One thing I will add on to that, though, while I'm talking about Balky, um, you know, he does scare me going into this draft. However, there are some positions that he has proven that he can draft as well. Tight end being one of them. Um, they, they had some nice tight ends over there with San Francisco. And they've also had some nice safeties over there as well with San Francisco, if I can recall. They also were – they had some okay hits on the defensive line. And one, most notably, DeForest Buckner, who is now with the Colts. He's a rival of ours now. We would know uh, a lot about him at this point. So, you know, Balky, while, you know, he does concern me, he's shown at certain points that he can make hits here and there. And when you combine, uh, combine all of those minds together, uh, maybe we could get a draft, um, a, a decent draft that we all end up liking in the end. So we'll see, man. I mean, we're we're nervous with Urban Meyer, uh, to say the least, but we'll see how it ends up. And um, it, it, what better time to be a Jazz fan than now, despite all of that nervousness? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. And again, he also mentioned in this press conference, you know, they've pretty much been you know, living in that draft room. And essentially they also talked, Jay, we talked about this before they started, they've gone through a few dry runs as well. So he knows exactly, you know, where everyone is going to be positioned, where the cameras are going to be, all that kind of stuff when it comes to the war room. And, you know, that's what you want to hear. Of course, like, like I said, there are plenty, there are plenty of reasons to be a little apprehensive about this, uh, um, you know, about this process. But uh, again, at least as so far, you know, we've gotten off to a good start and people are, are um, optimistic about it. Yeah. One thing I want to add on to that is, um, and I was listening to um, T wigs podcast, like I think it was um, two weeks ago, locked on Jack shout outs to wig. Uh, but I was listening to his podcast. One point he did make. And one thing that we might can be optimistic about too, is he was saying like, you know, this may be based on how the Jaguars assistants are and just the makeup of their staff. This may be a draft where the Jaguars actually do pretty good in terms of the late rounds too. And the reason for that is because, you know, they have all of these assistants that are tied to the college realm, um, like Chris Ash and, and so on and so forth, like Charlie Strong, who, um, you know, we've already relied on their relationships to a degree. Charlie Strong with Malcolm Brown, right? We got Malcolm Brown because he worked with Charlie Strong in Texas. So um, I, I'm really curious to see how they do in the late rounds because, yeah, those assistants could really help them in a time where you weren't really able to meet with these players and bring them in. Um, and you had to rely on X amount of Zoom conferences or whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, you're not able to get to all of these guys and you're not able to meet them all in person like you would want. So those relationships could help the Jaguars knock, you know, the fourth, fifth, sixth and seventh rounds out of the ballpark as well. So, uh, you know, that that's one area that I would, you know, encourage the fans to uh, watch heavily uh, next week as well. Well, let's get into the next set of questions here that were asked, Jay, and we'll we'll kind of pair these together. One of them was uh, someone asked Trent Balky about the plan for the 25th overall pick. Of course, you know, we do hold that second pick there in the at the end of the first round. And then also uh, they were asked about using all of the uh, all four of the team's picks there that they have in the top 65 in order to fill 
positions of need. So here is what uh, Trent and Urban had to say about that. I think first and foremost, trust the board, you know, and that's how, you know, me and the position I'm in is always have always operated. You know, it all depends on what happens in front of you. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. So your plan has to be fluid. If we're in a situation at 25 where the board says, you know what, let's trade back two or three spots and that becomes available. That's an option. You pursue it. If not, you make the pick and you move on to the next pick. Uh, absolutely. I, I see that uh, we not only have to make those picks, we got to add value, immediate value to our team. That's the way uh, Trent, myself and our coaching staff look. That's how important these picks are. So we're not look, we're looking at these picks to make instant impact, uh, especially those first four picks. So let me ask you this here, Jay, you know, uh, Trent had mentioned if uh, depending on, you know, the value of that pick, he also brought up the board again, which is going, which is a theme throughout this entire presser. Uh, you know, he talks about, um, you know, trusting the board there, but also Urban mentions, you know, using all all of, of those four picks in the top sixty-five to have guys that are to bring guys in that are going to make an immediate impact. Now, I mentioned this to you maybe a, a couple of weeks ago that I had started to see um, some mock drafts where Walker Little, who was a guy that you mocked to us back, I think in your second mock draft, had started to go in the first second round. You know, because he had a lot of potential and probably would be an early round pick um, if not for the injuries that we have talked about in the past. Now, when Urban comes out and says, you know, we want guys that are going to make immediate impact, do you think that probably takes off the board somebody like a Walker Little or a Rondale Moore, you know, some guys that maybe have injury concerns? Um, or do you think they're, um, you know, guys like that will probably still be in play despite that? Yeah, I think, you know, his statements say at least, well, we'll, we'll speak for Walker Little, right? Uh, I think his statement says that you can rule Walker Little out in terms of the first and second rounds. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're not going to draft Walker Little in the first round, obviously. And it's not just because he's missed a lot of time. But, I mean, like, what impact can Walker Little make on this team when you just signed Cam Robinson to the franchise tag for $13.5 million? You would have to think he's going to start because that would just be unwise. And I've never been a believer that the Jaguars want to move on from Jawan Taylor at right tackle, right? Uh, because he's so young. He's only been in the league two years. Like, to move away from a right tackle two years into his career, you're not doing him any favors. And, that I mean, you're not doing the team any favors. You just drafted him, you know? Like, it wasn't that long ago that you just got this young man. So, with Walker, you know, I, I think if he's there in the third round, and I'm more one of those guys that I, I've – I've said I'll believe it when I see it in terms of him getting drafted in the first and second rounds. Um, I, I do think he might fall to the third round, but that's just me. You know, some people might have some insider knowledge on him and, and think he'll go earlier than that. But, I mean, like, when somebody has played that many games in the last two to three years, like, how can you take them in the first round? How can you take them in the second round? Unless you're one of these teams like the Kansas City Chiefs uh, who can take that risk and you're building basically – some of these teams, it feel like, especially the Chiefs have such good depth, they're building a second team at this point, right? Uh, I, I guess you could kind of say, like, they, they need help on the offensive line now that they lost a couple guys in free agency or they cut a few guys for, um you know, salary cap reasons. But I digress from my point. So uh, for him, yeah, like, Walker, I don't see him being a guy that Jazz take that early. Rondell Moore, maybe – uh, I can see him going in the first and second rounds. And the reason for that is because obviously he um, and when I say he, I'm talking about Urban Meyer is coming from that conference where he's seen Rondell Moore torch them 
uh, torch Ohio State like to to a crisp basically when he was there. Uh, although, like you said, the, the injuries do bring up a concern. This is what I've always said about Rondell Moore. The Jaguars also shouldn't draft him until the, if they're going to do it to the third round, he'll probably be gone. Uh, but I think that Urban Meyer and Trent Baalke might consider it. And the reason for that is because they may be along the mindset of that you can never have too many weapons. Uh, but for me personally, I would grade guys like Elijah Moore over him. I even say even Tony over Rondell Moore. And the reason for that is because of health. They are along the lines of similar prospects, but the health is what matters to me. Uh, they've been available for their teams, those two guys, over Rondell Moore. And, you know, for Urban Meyer, I think, like, one thing that he'll probably have to realize, and this is kind of what you asked, what he'll have to realize is uh, with Rondell's bill of health or what he's shown us in college, I need somebody who is going to help me uh, make an immediate impact, and you can't do that from the sidelines. So I think that, yeah, that will play a big part in if they'll take him or not. Now, look, if they're at pick number 45, which they got from the Vikings, and he's still there, you know, you, you got to consider it because of the value, you know, like a lot of people got him going earlier than that. Uh, but still, for me, if they're going to do it early in terms of Rondale Moore, I would lean more towards Elijah Moore, Kadarius Toney, two guys who have been basically – uh, spoke upon about their toughness and have been available while as uh, you know that's not been the case with more so for those who know me by now and know me personally and this is something Phil can attest to from hanging out with me for many many years they would know by now that I'm big on fashion and a key part of any outfit at times especially in the south can be your sunglasses However, in this day and age, it's just simply hard to find a quality pair of sunglasses that will last you through the seasons, years, or whatever the case may be. For our listeners out there who can attest to this, we might have an answer for you. And it's one of our newest sponsors, Canaan Sunglasses. Canaan Sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity. They're made with Japanese optics that make their lenses clearer, lighter, stronger, and we're talking about Italian handcrafted frames here that are impossible to scratch. For our listeners out there who want to give these frames a try, use the exclusive code KananCast15. This, of course, will give you 15% off when you go to Kanan.com off of your first pair or your first purchase with the website. That's K-A-E-N-O-N-C-A-S-T-15. Kanan. Clearly better. And, you know, look no further than the previous regime as well, Jay. We're just, you know, I joke about it, but I was, you know, of course, a big fan and hoping that Josh Oliver would eventually get on the field. And ultimately, he never did. Now, of course, we're talking third round, not within the first couple of rounds. But these comments, just like he said, it's very telling. He's expecting someone to come in and be uh, and add value on the field immediately. So, uh, you know, I know there are a lot of fans out there that are infatuated with Rondeo Moore because of the speed, because of the, and the skill set is certainly there, but the availability is not, right? Just like you said, compared to an Elijah Moore, a Kadarius Tony, which I think are much more likely um, uh, options at where the Jaguars are picking. So when when it comes to that, I, I do hope that, you know, he is looking at everything that both he and Bulky and the scouting team are looking at the body of work as a whole and, you know, and recognizing, um, 
you know, just recognizing what uh, what's going to give them the best value there at those specific selections. I know you had something else to add on, Jay. Yeah, I mean, and look at it from this standpoint, like when when a player and I've said this before, when a player shows you that they can't stay healthy on the college level, like why should you have confidence that they'll stay healthy on the pro level where everybody's bigger, faster and stronger? So, like, that's another thing to consider here. Like he, you know, chances are, you know, and this is not necessarily a given, but chances are uh, if Rondell Moore struggled with soft tissue issue uh, issues or whatever the case may be when he was with Purdue, again, like, why would you have confidence that he'll be available for you on the NFL level? And for 1-15 team, you just, again, a team that's 1-15 and that one that Urban Meyer wants to go to the playoffs immediately, you can't take that risk. You just can't. I don't care how bad you got torched by him, you know, when he was with the Big Ten or whatever the case may be. And he, he, you know, he basically just made Ohio State look like fools out there. But again, you know, if they're going to do it, you know, get one of the other guys I mentioned. But, you know, I just have a hard time believing they may even wait, you know, in my personal opinion, because this receiver class is really deep. You really don't have to take a guy really at all in the first two rounds. You know what I'm saying? You could get you a a, a Stevenson from Houston in the fourth round. You know, you can get you a a, um, a Kate Johnson um, in, in the fourth round who we saw at the Senior Bowl. You know, you can get you some speed and a special teamer in the fourth round that can come in and contribute. And uh, you're not exactly hurting for a receiver either. That's the key to mention here. You got uh, – you got DJ Chark, you got Chenault, you got Johnson, who's ascending. Uh, you also got um, you got Marvin Jones, and you also got uh, Philip Dorsett. So, um, you know, while I don't think Dorsett might, uh, he he has a chance to not make the team. Uh, that being said, you're not exactly hurting for a receiver when you look at the other names that I just named. I do just want to throw something out here, Jay, just because I was curious at how Rondale Moore had performed against Ohio State. Um, in a a win back in 2018 uh, against then-ranked number two Ohio State. Actually, uh, Purdue uh, won this game. Uh, In that game, Rondell Moore, 12 catches for 170 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Do you want to know how he also did in 2019 and 2020, Jay? Yep, run it. Well, there's no statistics because he didn't play against Ohio State in 2019 and 2020, presumably out with uh, with injury. I do know, of course, in 2020, he did opt out and then opt back in for a few games. But yeah, that is the only time he faced off against Ohio State, and that was back in 2018. So like you said, if a guy's having problems in college, what makes you believe that he's just going to magically be healthy all the time in the pros? But with that being said, Jay, let's move into a couple of more positions. Now, we already actually kind of touched on the offensive line here uh, just a little bit. So we're going to actually pair these two clips together where Urban was asked about, you know, the draft class in terms of the defensive line, but also adding competition to the offensive line room. So let's play these back to back here and listen to what Urban had to say about the offensive and defensive front. The edge is a little deeper than the interior, but there are some really quality players uh, inside as well. We addressed some of the needs on the defense line of free agency. That was obviously a high need area for us. We're not done yet, uh, but that's uh, we're actually today, this afternoon, we're going to finalize. That's uh, that's one of the final pieces. When, when Trent said we're finishing the board, that's one of the final pieces we're actually working on. That's obviously, that's how good is your team? How good is your D-line? That's the first answer. How good is your team? How good is your defense line? And uh, we, we have some really solid pieces right now uh, that we even believe will play better as they get a little more mature and 
and we move on and the scheme fits some of our personnel. Uh, but that's a great question. And this afternoon, we have to get that answered. It's not, it's not completely done yet. Uh, I think that's uh, an obvious statement. Competition brings out the best in everyone. And the way I look at our offense line is there are very talented people. We made a decision to go with the starting five that we had, but you also got a guy named Tyler Shatley. We got some other young players that I know coach Warhop uh, thinks very highly of. And, um, like I mentioned, defensive line, the next question you ask, ask her, how's your team? How's your offensive line? And uh, I feel like our offensive line can play much better. Uh, and I believe we have the coach, and I believe we have some excellent talent that we will play much better. And, there, you know, there's still our two tackles are young players that are still coming to their own. We have some veterans inside that uh, I feel good about. But to answer your question, if we will try to help bring some competition to the offensive line in the draft. We're planning on doing that. So there you have it. Of course, those in order that was talking about the defensive line and then the offensive line, the order of those clips there. And as you mentioned, Jay, you know, there are a couple of really solid pieces, you know, on the defensive side of things. But he also said it's not completely done yet. And, you know, you and I had talked about that when Tyson, when, he, when we had heard Tyson Alu-Alu had backed out of his agreement here in Jacksonville and decided to return back to Pittsburgh. He said, hey, they're going to have to address this in the NFL draft. And of course, that is what Urban is pretty much acknowledging here. And then again, you know, touch on the offensive side, uh, offensive line side of things. You know, I think uh, as we just talked about, getting somebody in the first or second round is most likely out of the picture uh, and out of the realm of possibility. But when you talk about bringing in competition, you know, you're looking at th- uh, rounds three and and after that, where, you know, you mentioned some of those guys in the, in the couple, last couple of mock drafts that you've done. So, you know, what do you think about these statements in terms of Urban Meyer recognizing that, you know what, we got to get better on the offensive and defensive line? Uh, yeah, I found the uh, the remarks about the interior and uh, edge rusher class intriguing because he's basically echoed what we've said and the draft pundits have said where the edge class is stronger than the defensive tackle class. So, you know, basically, man, you have said like after Barmore and um, Wuzuriki, you know, you kind of have some question marks after those two. And Daniel Jeremiah said that in a conference call, actually not exactly like that, but he said this is uh, to him like one of the weakest defensive tackle classes he's seen in quite some time. So like this is just us echoing, uh, you know, what Jeremiah has said and Meyer just echoing what the both of us have said or the three of us have said there. So I found that interesting. And, you know, that makes me believe, like, you know, if Barmore is there at 25, they would jump on that opportunity uh, because they know about that drop off, you know, obviously because Urban Meyer has said that. So and, and and as he did say, yeah, the edge rushing class is a little bit deeper. Now, if they can't get Barmore or um, Wuzuriki or maybe a guy like um, Aline McNeil from um, North I think it's North Carolina State that he came from. If they can't get a guy like him, then they're probably just more so focused on getting one of these edge rushers who, uh, again, that class is a little bit deeper. And Jeremiah talked about this, too. It's a good clump of guys that you can get in that first, second uh, round in terms of, uh, you know, the edge rushing class. And that's where the Jaguars have plenty of picks at. So that's something to be mindful of for the fans at home um, in terms of what he said there. Uh, On the offensive line, you know, again, he kind of, you know, echoed a little bit what we we've touched on um in, in terms of um his belief in the tackles the, his young tackles as he put cam robinson and uh Jawan taylor hard to see them moving on from those guys this year and we've kind of talked about this too phil within ourselves and with boogie but 
You know, like when you the more and more you watch the offensive line, it wasn't uh, necessarily a terrible unit. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, of course, like like he said, they can afford to improve clearly. You know, like they were I think they were ranked 23rd on PFF. But look, man, after doing some research, uh, Justin Herbert did better with a worse offensive line. Okay, PFF had them ranked like dead last in terms of the offensive line. Okay, so. If the Jaguars are 23rd, 24th, that's significantly better than what he had. And you would think, and this may be their mindset, that they believe with the right quarterback they can flourish with the offensive line they have, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I I wouldn't be shocked if he struggled as well behind that offensive line, but I I definitely wouldn't be surprised if if Trevor Lawrence can thrive with what's in front of him in terms of the guys in the trenches. Uh, So that being said, like you said, maybe so more so you'll see some guys go – in the third or fourth round in terms of the offensive line. It's it's key to note here, though, that this tackle class, offensive tackle class, is pretty deep and it's pretty good. Um, So, therefore, like, if you, you know, they may feel like they can wait till later and get some guys there. But, you know, you might see a situation where, you know, a, a guy like Jackson Carmen falls to the third round or, uh, like we said, Walker Little falls to the third round. Then value comes into play, as Trent Baalke has said. And maybe you see them take somebody in the third round if the value is there, which is kind of what they've echoed. But uh, if those guys go in the second round and they go earlier, you know, that kind of makes it an easy decision for the Jaguars to not spend their third round pick or earlier on a offensive tackle or guard. Yeah, definitely will be interesting to see how the board falls in terms of the offensive and defensive linemen that are going to be available. Let me ask you this, Jay, before we get to the last clip here. So in, in your mind, you know, of course, we got a, you know, a great, great value. And speaking of value, as far as Devon Hamilton last year in the third round, is there a guy that you identify that you have identified in in the, you know, uh, the draft analyst process uh, that you have said maybe has that has that similar value in the later rounds on the interior line on the defensive side. Yeah, you know, um, actually, you know, the further and further I get into this draft process, a guy I keep seeing fall to the Jags in the third round, and I would love it if he's there. And this, this is my I've spoken on this guy plenty of times. People should know Joe Tryon. If Joe Tryon is there, you know, and I can understand why he would be there, and that's because you know, like uh, he opted out last year. Um, you know, like his body of work isn't as, uh, you know, it just doesn't pop out to the eye like some of these other prospects. But um, one of the reasons I'm high on Joe Tryon is because of it's not like necessarily it's of course, it's some of the things I have seen on the film and, and whatnot. But it's what I think Joe Tryon could be is his upside and his upside. The fact that he hasn't fulfilled that upside in his film isn't like extremely, uh, you know, catching of the eye. I think he could fall to the third round and that, that would be one of the guys I would get. Um, you know, again, uh, another guy I already spoke on him, Jackson Carmen, who admittedly he's a hard guy to evaluate the offensive tackle from Clemson. But I do know like at that point in the third round, uh, that would be good value for him, you know, uh, as you know, Trevor Lawrence is blind side protector. Um, and, and again, like they have Cam Robinson, they have, uh, Jawan Taylor at right and left tackles. But one of the things that has been said about Jackson Carmen is that he can maybe play guard as well. So like, he's one of those guys. I feel like if you get him, you get him because the value is there. Probably and figure the rest out later. 
You know what I'm saying? So, like, sometimes you just have to do that. You just have to, if a player is there that shouldn't be there, you just take them and, like, hey, look, man, we'll figure out the rest later. I mean, it's not like in the future there wouldn't be a place for them, right? Because Cam Robinson's only on a one-year deal. Uh, if Jawan Taylor has another bad year, then you have to consider moving on from him. So, uh, AJ can, if you want to move Jackson Carmen to ground, uh, to, to guard, excuse me, uh, AJ can is on the last year of his deal, and so is Andrew Norwell. So, it's taking a guy third you know uh, i think that's pick number 65 is taking jackson carmen at 65 exactly a bad idea i would say no because a lot of the guys on that offensive line now won't be there next year and the last clip we'll play here folks is uh urban meyer on how he's going to evaluate draft prospects as far as the balance between their red flags and their talent something that of course teams you know have been struggling with since the nfl draft was a thing so let's see and, uh, and hear what Urban had to say about that. Every player that comes up, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but every, I'm sure everybody's doing this, is they're, they're digging. If there's a red flag at all before that number or before that name goes on the board, uh, we're going to cover area, every area. And so much of this, this uh, sports performance is, and my Zoom calls are involved with that, is that I've had great players that gone on and they disappeared in the NFL. And a lot of it is because of the sports performance. Either the organization doesn't take it very seriously or the player doesn't. And that, that's unsustainable uh, in, in high-level college football or the NFL unless it's very important to you. So that's a question I ask every player. And if it's not important, then we got to gauge Trent and I and our coaching staff and personnel staff, can we overcome that because there's a great chance that this career is not going to end well. If you don't take the, all the analytics and all the sports science that's available to you, you know, I, I, it's, it's a huge part of the Jaguar organization. So again, Jay, he's talking there about, you know, balancing – the red flags as well as uh you know the talent and maybe a guy like a joe tryon is what you're you're kind of alluding to there a guy like a rondale Moore, uh you know later on you know you you kind of have to balance that out so you know what what do you have to say about um uh, what are your takeaways from uh, from urban you know trying to toe that line yeah i hope what you know like with his dedication and mindset towards sports science i hope where where this helps the jaguars is where We've heard concerns come up with Balky, right? With you know, a lot of these fans of the San Francisco 49ers, what they do, they'll come in the comments of a Jaguars uh tweet that relates to Balky saying, like, hey, you guys remember when Balky took this guy that uh early in the draft that had a torn ACL, you know, type of deal. And I hope that is where, you know, Urban Meyer's knowledge to sports science and, and what have you. I hope that's where that kicks in and, and you know, maybe stops Balky from doing something like that. Taking a guy too early who has these medical red flags. And this especially isn't the year to do it because they didn't have a combine. They had a combine, but it wasn't that kind of a combine. Your doctors didn't really get to see a lot of these guys in person and get their own medical evaluations on a lot of these guys. So if it, there ever was a year not to take a risk, and I know a lot of teams are going to end up doing it anyway because, you know, you just sometimes you got to roll the dice. But if it ever was a year to not take a risk on somebody with, you know, red flags in terms of an injury or even red flags in terms of, uh, you know, character, uh, this is the year to pass on those guys. Um, because, again, you were only limited to so many Zoom calls. You were only limited uh, to so many encounters with some of these guys. And in some of these cases, you didn't get to meet with some of these guys that have red flags at all. So um, hopefully, you know, Meyer's devotion to sports science and stuff just helps the Jags to avoid a uh, very bad situations where they get a player that's not going to stay on the field. Because as we said, with Rondale Moore, that doesn't really help them 
as a one in fifteen team that's trying to go from one in fifteen to going into the playoffs. Yeah, and Jay, I think that running back you're referring to, of course, would be Marcus Lattimore, uh, who Trent Baalke brought into the 49ers, drafted in the fourth round after having, uh, you know, just a terrible, terrible injury there in in in, in college. Uh, but yeah, so you certainly hope that Urban is very much so aware of that. And again, we talked about this when Urban was brought in, that we we figured that Trent Baalke was going to be the pairing and the... Uh, the understanding was that, you know, Urban is essentially in charge, even though Trent has the title of GM. And even though, again, he is alluding to relying on the guys in the lock or the guys on the staff that have been there before, uh, you do hope that, you know, Urban is is taking charge and, and taking the lead here um, when it comes to, you know, hoping not allowing Trent Balky to make any similar decisions that he did back in San Francisco, you know, one of many that seemed to doom his time there and, and of course, continue to hopefully, of course, you know, have a good relationship because it's, it's no secret uh, that things went south between bulky and um, uh, their head coach, uh, um, John Harbaugh, I believe. Um, is it? Yeah, it was John Harbaugh. That was there, right? Not Jim. <laughs> uh, I actually feel it might've been um, Jim Harbaugh. I get him confused. Let me, I'm, I'll look I think at it. Was Jim. Yeah, it yeah. was Jim. <laughs> John is the one that's with the Ravens. So, yeah, it was Jim. Why did their parents have to name them so similarly? I don't know why <laughs> they did that to us. Yeah, they should have went in a different direction uh, with the youngest one <laughs> after naming the first one Jim or John. But anyway, guys, that's, uh, you know, those are all the clips that we wanted to uh, to point out. Uh, the takeaways that we had from the presser here, Jay, of course, uh, you know, we didn't uh, uh, touch on all of them, uh, but those are the ones that we felt were noteworthy for you guys this week. And then, of course, you know, heading into uh, the big the big one next week, guys, it's it's almost here. It's it's crazy that we have almost gotten to that point. So, Jay, was there anything else, you know, that maybe we didn't necessarily touch on from this presser that you wanted to discuss uh, before we we get out of here for the week and, and head into the final stretch? Nah, man, we we knocked on the big points of the presser, um, which was one that I got to sit in uh, for the first time, which that was kind of neat. I uh, wish I could have got my question off about uh, what positions does Trent Baalke and uh, Urban Meyer value in this, or, or which uh, positions do they think offer high value in this draft, but didn't get to get to it. I, I'll maybe get to get to a question later, but um, yeah, man, like like you said, we covered everything pretty much, man. Uh, hopefully we'll get another podcast out before uh, the draft. We'll see how that works. Um, but as as you have said um, before in the last pod, we'll definitely try and get that mock draft out. And uh, whether we speak about it or not on this podcast or we get to, uh, that's a whole nother thing, but it'll definitely be on Jazz Wire. That is right, folks. So again, uh, make sure you stay tuned in to not only believe in the Jaguars, but also over on the Jaguars wire, we are going to, uh, I think we'll probably try and make a conscience effort to get an episode out before Thursday night, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, we may just let the the first round play out. Of course, that way we can talk about not only our brand new quarterback, but also whoever they just, whoever they take at pick number 25, it'll be a little bit of a crunch next week. So that will, there will of course be a lot going on, but that's it for this week's episode of Believe in the Jaguars, folks. Again, we thank you so much for joining us. Uh, again, if you are brand new, hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope that you come back. And for those of you that have been listening uh, since day one, we really, really appreciate you. Again, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave that five-star review. Uh, you can also listen to us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Of course, we are at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. 
tweet the show or hit us up on Instagram, Believe in Jags Pod. You can find me at Phil the Filipino, and Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Don. Folks, enjoy the very last week being a Jaguar fan, at least for a long, long time, where Trevor Lawrence is not your quarterback. Remember these times we have all struggled uh, leading up to this, and, and here we are. Look at us prosper. So don't forget to not only believe in the Jaguars, but more importantly, you have to believe in yourself. We will see you next week, guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.